Morning, friends. We are going to continue our series in our study in the book of Judges. Before we do, why don't you pray together with me, prepare ourselves to hear God's word, prepare ourselves to act in obedience in light of it. Now, book of Judges, good idea to give some context here. The book of Judges follows the book of Joshua. Now, we know that uh, Israel was, uh, the nation of Israel was in captivity, slavery even, in the land of Egypt for 430 years. And God raised up Moses to bring them out. They went in, 75 people in a family, came out over 400 years, two and a half million people. They are now a nation. And God has promised to lead them to a promised land, a particular spot on this earth that he promised to give to this nation. Now they have to get there. And as we know, the book of Exodus, you got the, the 10 plagues and, you know, out they go. Pharaoh says, get out of here. And away they go. And then comes the journey along the way. And they're going to learn about their God, Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 20, God lays out his law. Now, you and I are familiar with the Ten Commandments, but the law that God gave to this people was over 613 statutes, how they were to live in a relationship with God and how they were to live in relationship with one another. And as all people, they struggled in both of these manners. Well, when we get to the book of, the, of Judges, they are now at the edge of this promised land and it is occupied by people that God wants to punish because they are idolaters. And remember, some of the sins they were committing is taking their children and offering them as a burnt offering to these gods that they had made up. And so God raised up this people, Israel, to go in and to take over these cities and all of this property and to drive out all of the inhabitants. And so now they're in the land. Come to the end of the book of Joshua, and there they are, now in this new promised land. And God had given them these laws, not just to tell them what to do, but to tell them how to live in order that they might experience God's goodness and his blessing. God said, if you obey my laws, now this is for the nation of Israel, not for you and I. These promises were made to specific people at a specific time. You obey me, and I will make sure the rains come at the right season. Your crops will be fruitful. There won't even be a miscarriage among you. All sorts of promises. But now they're in the land. And the question is, how are they living? Well, the book of Judges tells us not very well. As a matter of fact, the book of Judges introduces us to this thing called a sin cycle, where here they are obeying God, and then they look at some of those neighbors, by the way, that they failed to drive out of the land, and they begin to worship other gods, just exactly what God commanded them not to do. And they are caught in idolatry, and so God sells them into the hands of their enemies. This is called discipline. Why do parents discipline their children? Well, for two reasons. The best reason is because you love them and you want more for them. The second reason is because you're angry and you take it out on them. That is wrong, my friends. That is absolutely wrong. It is sin against them and it is sin to God. 
But God disciplines his children for their good to bring them back. And that's the next step on the sin cycle. Here they are sold into the hands of their enemies and they cry out to God, Oh, God, deliver us. And he raises up a judge. And this judge leads them out into freedom yet once again to where they are serving God. But that sin cycle just keeps spinning round and round. You read the book of Judges, it's the wheels on the bus go round and round through this whole sin cycle. So they're not doing very well. It is a dark time in Israel's history. And it reminds me of the midst of the uh, 17th century. Under the the rule of Oliver Cromwell in Great Britain, it began by, I mean, they, they, they killed Charles I. They wanted to get rid of the whole monarchy. And it was, it was dark times for the church at that time. I mean, especially for the Anglican church, you know, the Church of England. If you were in the church business, my friend, it, they were bad days, bad days. They wanted to divest Great Britain of anything related to this king, and that church was on the target. And people were slaughtered, and they drove everyone out, everything they could to wreak havoc in the church. And yet, even in the midst of those dark days, there were still people who chose to do what was right and what was good there was a little plaque in uh, 1960 or 1653, I'm sorry. This little inscription hidden away in a little church in Staunton, England, with this little inscription that, uh, that said, In the year of 1653, when all things sacred were throughout the nation destroyed or profaned, This church was built to the glory of God, whose singular praise it was to have done the best things in the worst of times. Sir Robert Shirley built this church in the dark days when everything was being destroyed. And the the fact is, my friends, we live in an era perhaps moving into days such as these. I'm not a prophet the son of a prophet, and of course, Family Bible Church is a non-profit organization. But I want to tell you, friends, the winds have shifted against the church. We now minister against a, in a culture that is, that is naturally set against Christ. And if you had the opportunity to change the world, to change the world that you live in, how would you go about doing it? I mean, here are some dark days. Israel is just caught in this sin cycle over and over again. How do you stop it? I mean, what would you do? What would your plan be? And a lot of people wanted to change the world. Hitler changed the world. Stalin changed their world. I'm talking about for good and for the glory of God. How would you do it? How would you do it? Well, in our passage here today, in Judges chapter 17 and 18, we see a plan laid out, some steps, some key areas in culture that we ought to be particularly focused in in prayer and support. 
We need to get this stuff right, my friends. It's, you know, we're not talking about what other people should be doing here. We're talking about what we should be doing. And the first place, perhaps, that we ought to start is in the home. In Judges uh, chapter 17 and verse 1, we read about this, this man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the uh, 1,100 uh, pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver's with me, I took it. Uh, what's a good little boy is he? He stole his mother's silver, and she's uttering a curse about the whole thing. Cursed be the one who took it, who took it, his son. How nice of him to offer up and confess. How would you respond to such a thing? Cursing and yelling. How pacing back and forth and suddenly you need new carpet. There's a rut there. How do you respond to such a thing? In my estimation, here is a great opportunity to teach someone about sin. And by the way, my friends, a home is the perfect place to do that because sin will destroy your own life. Selfishness. Nobody likes people who are selfish. He's always talking about himself, what he wants, what she wants, what she did over the weekend. She never seems to care about anybody else around her. Well, guess what? That is natural and inborn. You ever notice that you only tend to think about yourself and what you look like and what you're doing and how you're feeling and whether your hamstrings are still sore from all that bike riding recently? You know, me, 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 me. It's all about me. That's a dangerous thing, my friends. Because in the home, there are some key responsibilities you have. is to teach those children and to demonstrate for those children how to live with others. And how to live with God. And that was the opportunity right there. This training their children how to relate to others. That was the big opportunity. You want to change the world? Start focusing on the kids. We are opportunities to impact children. Where do children gather? Well, in your home. You say, well, my kids are all grown. You got any grandkids? Hmm? Any ministries that are particularly focused on children? You know any uh, teachers that are uh, around children all of the time? Those are people to invest in. People who can make a difference with the children. You want to change a generation? That's where you start. Well, notice her response to this confession and his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord for my hand for my son to make a carved image of a metal image. Now, so she made her own God. She took the silver and began to make an idol with it. What a terrible thing going on in here because she did not teach him how wrong it was to steal, how harming other people is dangerous both to you and to them, to help to understand a context of sin and how it damages. No, let's just celebrate. 
And now she taught him how to relate to this Lord that she's going to dedicate her silver to by making an idol. I don't know about you, but if you know the Ten Commandments, that's number two. <laughs> that's number two. Don't bow down to idols. There is one God. Honor him and serve him. And so she had the opportunity to train her children about sin and to train her son about God, but failed to do so. Was Vance Havner, uh, he was a well-known preacher from the 1900s, particularly known for his clever wit. Funny guy, funny guy, you know. And he, uh, he once said that uh, we shouldn't worry that the government won't allow children to have Bibles in school. I mean, they'll get free Bibles when they go to prison. You let your children run, do you know what they will run to? They will run to sin and trouble every time. Why? Well, you may have remembered earlier in the service we talked about how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners, my friend. And you know what sinners do? They sin. And they get into trouble. And they take things that don't belong to them. And they hurt other people along the way. I have four <laughs> I have four grandchildren, and they are spectacular children. <laughs> but you know what? They're sinners. Their moms don't want to hear that. <laughs> they know it. They believe it. But they don't want to think of their children as sinners. But I'll tell you what, friends. It's a good idea to understand them where they are. For how will you help them get to where they ought to be if you don't know where they are? Teaching the truth, my friends. How to live with others and how to live with God. And so he restored this, this, this uh, money to his mother. Verse 4 tells us uh, she made this carved image. How do we worship God? Make your own idol? I don't think so. Hmm. Now when we get to here at verse 6, we get some real insight into the culture of the day. The text here tells us in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The fact of the matter, those, that statement right there is true today. There is no king in Israel, and every man does what is right in his own eyes. It's a dangerous place to be, my friends. So you want to impact your culture. You want to change the world. Start with the kids. Start with the kids. Invest in children. But then we notice another area that is important if you're going to change the world. The first was parents had stopped teaching their kids. The second is that ministers got tired of ministry. You want to see the cause for the turmoil that's going on in Israel? Well, take a look at these areas and transform it. You transform a culture. Notice here in verse 7. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was, now, who was a Levite, now, that's very important to understand. Uh, you know, there, there you got all of these tribes of Israel. The Levite was certainly one of them. But, but certainly that's more significant because this tribe was called to a particular ministry. They were to work alongside the priests. As a friend of mine recently said, they were like the deacons to the elders to help along the way certain aspects of ministry. In other words, the fact that they were born a Levite 
brought them into this particular calling on how to serve God. So they didn't have to grow up, and nobody asked them when they were little children, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and actually nobody asked that question, really. They say, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? Because your whole uh, self-worth is, is, is based in what you do, right? No, that's not true. It is far important to be considering what you are, who you are, than what you do. Because who you are will determine what you do. Think about that. And you will notice his story, that ministry was a stewardship from God. You know what a stewardship is? It means it doesn't belong to you, but you, it is given to you to be responsible for. It is a stewardship. God gave this ministry very specifically to the tribe of Levi. But you'll notice he left his calling. There's this young man of Bethlehem and Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem and Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim in the house of Micah. Now again, he's walking away from his, his duty to God and to his people. To his nation, to walk away from such a thing does harm both to himself and to others. Now, this uh, ministry as a uh, stewardship is certainly highlighted in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17. Paul writes, uh, For if we do this of my own, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. He's talking about his own ministry. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw his ministry as a stewardship from God. God gave it to him, and Paul would be responsible for it. In Ephesians chapter through, uh, 3 and verse 2, uh, Paul says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul ministered to the churches. That stewardship of ministry that he was given was not for his own self, but that he would serve for the good of other people. Ministry that God gives us. Ministry, by definition, is for others, not for ourselves. And I could go on, but we see here this guy, he's just turning his back and walking away. Well, I don't want to do what Pop did his whole life. I want to try something different, which is always the first step to sin, my friend. Not you have to do what Dad did, but if Dad is serving the Lord, it's a good idea that you do it as well. And he was looking for something better. Verse 9 in Micah. Micah said to him, he comes across this guy named Micah, you know, and Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, well, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place, looking for my own spot. And look at here, where we notice that ministry is not, is a calling and not a job. There is a difference, my friend. And here Micah offers something to this man. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite took it. Huh, I can be a priest. 
until then I've only been a Levite. And now he begins to move into a realm he does not belong. He's not a priest, he's a Levite. And the role of a Levite is to serve a nation, not a man. But let's face it, he didn't choose this to serve a man. He chose this to serve himself. He liked the deal. You're going to provide for me, give me clothes and food and a job, I'm in. Hmm. Very sad. But then here we see that Micah's goal here. Look at here, verse 13, then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. And here's Micah thinking, hey, if i got a Levite living in my house, that God has to bless me. You know, because Levites are good luck charms, as we know. The, the fact of the matter is, friends, I wonder, do you have a good luck charm when it comes to God? Well, God has to bless me because, fill in the blank, if your answer isn't because I'm trusting Christ and serving Him, then your answer is wrong. The blessing of God comes because we are His children. By the way, what does it mean to bless? You know, the word bless. God has blessed me. Why? Because you got a free French fry in your bag of Burger King? You know, was that a blessing? The blessing of God is His favor and enablement. God favors His children and enables them to serve him in a particular way they could not on their own. Hmm. So here is this guy. Well, God has to bless me now. I got my own Levite. Something sound wrong about that? All kinds of things. Hmm. Wow. And so what we see here is that this Levite misunderstood that there is a difference between a shepherd and a hireling. Jesus, in John chapter 10, talked about the difference between a minister and a hireling, somebody who looked at it as a calling and someone who looked at it as a job. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees. Why? Because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So this man, in his selfishness, runs away from his responsibilities and hires himself out. See if he can make a buck out of his birthright. You see, the primary difference between a shepherd and a hireling is their motivation. Their motivation. The hireling does, not, does it for his own benefit, and yet a shepherd does it for the benefit of the sheep. And these leaders were to shepherd the people Israel. And do you know why they live this way? Do you know why mom didn't care that her son had stolen it, only that she had found the money and could make her own God? You know why this Levite was so happy to leave his calling to serve himself? Because they didn't know the high cost of neglecting their responsibilities. 
In chapter 18 and verse 1, we see the outcome of parents who neglect their duties and ministers who are so willing to just walk away from it. In verse 1 of chapter 18, we read, In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. Now, a little background here. By this point in Israel's history, Dan should have already had some property. They should have already had their inheritance. The problem is, as the people of Israel went into this promised land with Joshua, each tribe was responsible. As the, the land was designated this for this tribe, this part for the, they were responsible for driving the people out of this land. They just failed to do it. They said, oh, this is hard. And they just quit. And so here they are, wandering around. They know exactly what they're supposed to do, but they're unwilling to do it. And they rejected God's word. God had laid it out clearly. This belongs to Dan. Go take it. Now, the thing about this is you didn't go take it in your own power. You trust me, and I will give you the abilities, and, and I will frustrate your enemies. But you have to go. And they would not. And they would not. Dan wasn't a large tribe, but it was given some pretty nice territory when the tribal boundaries were assigned. But the Danites, however, were not able to defeat and dispossess this enemy. Why? They didn't really want to. They had the power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. They had the Spirit of God that would work with them, but they turned and walked away. And they said, this is too hard for us. <coughs> Well, my friends, they came up with a better idea. They looked at their brother's possession and said, well, why don't we just take his? Take a look. Verse 2, so the people of Dan, that's a tribe of Israel, sent five able men to the whole number of their tribe from Zorah, from Eshtiel, uh, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim again. One of their brothers, the tribe of Ephraim, to the house of Micah and large there. And they believed man rather than God. You can see this, this whole downfall of this tribe. First of all, they're ignoring God's word. Second of all, they're coveting their brother's possessions. <coughs> and then here in verse 3, they believe man rather than God. And when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? I mean, what are you doing in this place? Everybody knew the Levite should be serving God. Why are you here? Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What's your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He's hired me and I've become his priest. And they said to him, well, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to him, look at that, and the priest, <laughs> he's a Levite, he ain't a priest. Hmm. 
And the priest said to them, go in, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. My friend, the whole encounter was sin. This man is now blinded and giving them poor counsel. And the priest said, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. So then the five men departed and came to Laish and, and saw the people who were there and how they lived in security under the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians who had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to the brother at Zorai, and Eshtil, their brother said to them, What do you report? And they said, Arise, and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it's very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go and enter into the possessed the land. And so here is the plan. Let us go kill our brothers. Let us go kill our brother Ephraim and take his things. Do you see the downward spiral going on here? You neglect raising children to fear God, knowing how to relate to one another in love. And the priests walking away from the Levites, people walking away from the ministries, and the culture just begins to spin. And now here's a whole tribe saying, what God told us to do is too hard. Let's just go kill our brother and take his things. And that is precisely what happened. They murdered them. Verse 27. And the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him. And they came to Leish to a people quiet and unsuspecting. And struck them with the edge of the sword. And burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob, and then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan, after Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. Hmm. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved images for themselves. Why not create your own God? You have no intention of serving the real, living, and true God. And that is what they did, my friends. Hmm. One step at a time. A little neglect here, a little neglect there. And suddenly things begin to collapse. Well, my friends, let's wrap this up. Here is the truth that is connected with these passages here today. Little neglect here, little neglect there, little turning of the eyes, a little slumber and destruction. Hear me. Write this down. Recite this to one another. Spiritual failure is never a blowout. It never just happens. Spiritual failure is never a blowout. It is always a slow leak. Makes you think of tires, one of which I replaced on my car this week. It's never a blowout, my friends. It's always a slow leak. A little here. I'm so busy. Oh, I'd love to go to his basketball game, but I got things. You know, I really should spend more time with my wife. You know, she's got a lot going on. I really need to hear what's happening. 
yeah, but, the, you know, the game is on, and it's a big one this week because they're playing this guy with that guy, and this person's on their team, and he's really good, but that guy's a rascal, and let it go, right? A little here, a little there. Spiritual failure is never a blowout. It never just happens. In the news recently, and it's been in national news, these big famous pastors with thousands of people who come to hear every word. And they've cheated on their wife. And you say, how? How, how did such things happen to godly men and women who have served the Lord in such, such faithfulness? It's never a blowout, my friends. It never just happens. A little here. A little too much time there, a little bit of neglect over there, everything falls apart. So I warn you, my friends, and I ask you this question. Are you following God's instruction? And we see this Levite turn his back on what God has called him to do and sell himself for a few dollars. Are you having a godly influence on the people around you? You want to change the world? Start living it. Plan, or step two of plan, this, this plan to change the world. Start influencing the people around you. Change the topic of conversation to that which honors God and not which drags down others. You want to change your life? Don't allow talking about anyone that isn't present right there. Don't talk about anyone who isn't present. Stop gossip. Don't participate in it. Don't begin it. I mean, it's just a simple thing, right? We shouldn't talk about people. You don't like people talking about you, right? Yeah. That's the way it goes. You see sin in your life. You see a slow leak and you stop it. You address it. You stop it. How about this one? Stop lying. Weird thing, a room full of liars, right? We lie in small ways, not bold-faced lies. You know, we don't stand up and say, I was never there. Just little things. Did you eat that? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know I may have, I don't remember. <laughs> One of the funniest things to me is people who cheat on a diet. Who are you cheating? You're going to suddenly convince people you lost 20 pounds? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's gone. I know it doesn't look like it. <laughs> it's a silly thing, my friends. And the fact is you're not fooling anyone. Are you a positive influence in the community? And here's the question. If you're not, why not? Why not? Stop the leaks. Stop taking those little steps, a little here, a little there, little, and suddenly you're a mile down the road. And then you believe the lie, there's no way back. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie, my friends.